Liberty Base here. The Eagle has landed. Worldview Truth. Hello, this is Randy Osborne with Worldview Truth, and I have in the studio a special person today. I have Kurt Kelly. In fact, let's rephrase that. It's Representative Kurt Kelly. Oh, my goodness. Um, and we're talking about a, a couple years ago anyway, right? <laughs> At least 13. Yeah. We've known each other for um, quite a while. I was going to say way too long, but that wouldn't come out right. So, <laughs> But um, I have him in the studio today. We're, we're talking about a subject that it, it's personally it, very, very passionate and important to me. And um, it's, it's about Israel and it's about the support for Israel. And it's about the church here in the United States and what their role is uh, with Israel and the Jewish people. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But let me just kind of give you a background. I'm gonna, you're going to have to help me with this. All but right. you were a, a state representative. Uh, when was it? Well, I was there in 2007, 8, 9, and 10. 2007, 8, 9, and 10. Let's see. What district was that? District 24, um, which is what it is now. And it's, still ju- it's still just Well, no, it changed. It went okay. to 22, then it went to 23, and now it's 24 again. 24. So. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. You are an ordained pastor, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Just uh, Gainfully employed is uh, I run the Florida Coalition for Children. We are a statewide organization uh, that deals with Florida's privatized system of care. Uh, I work all over the state. We deal with adoptions, foster care, uh, issues of that nature that deal with children that come into the foster care system. Uh, it's uh, been doing this almost 11 years now wow. uh, since I've since I've gotten out. But it's uh, and besides besides uh, having other responsibilities in the uh, around the state, but uh, that's a pretty full time job. I hear you. One of the things that I, I wanted to talk to you about this today is something that, again, I, I'm very, very passionate about. And um, it was actually just a, a few years ago that I started realizing that there is a, a problem in, the, in America of, of Christians supporting Israel, the support for Israel. Um, a, lot of, a lot of groups um, are getting behind this BDL movement and, and some of these other, other movements. And I'm, I, was, I was baffled. I thought, what is going on here? I had no idea. So I've, I've kind of brought you into the, in the studio because I really want to get your perspective on this. This is something I know you're also passionate about and try to understand really what is going on um, with the church in America and, and what is one of the things that I think the, where I'll probably first start is, is, is here. What is the Christian's role in their in their support or not supporting Israel? What is the Christian's role in that? And uh, I'd like to just kind of get your insight on that and get a little bit of of overview of, of where you're coming from and and from a biblical perspective, because I think a lot of times that we get caught into even theology, we get in different theology and, and then you go back to scripture like, I'm not really sure that's what that's talking about. Well, it's interesting you've said that because I would say that uh, what I've heard most of my life, uh, I grew up as a, uh, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor, went to Southern Theological Seminary. Later on, I went to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The very first course I took 
uh, in seminary. And uh, I, would, I would work here in Ocala and drive down to Idlewild Baptist where they brought their professors in and uh, we would have classes. And the first class I took was eschatology. I'm like, oh no, not eschatology. I, you know, I, I, I know if we're saved, we're all saved and whatever you believe in this area, that's, that's okay. That's not really all that important. Well then, that's funny because why did the Bible then spend so much time explaining this why why did genesis 12 take place in scripture and and god make unconditional covenant to israel and uh there i began to really have to challenge even though i was raised understanding and probably would be considered a pre-mill pre-trib uh believer but i really didn't know you know there's the pre-trib there's the pre-mill, and then there's the post-mill, and then there's the uh, ah-mill, and really... Don't, don't what, forget the pan Yeah, mill. I was going to say, that most people were pan-mill. They just said, it'll all pan out in the end, and they'd laugh about it. We all go, well, as long as we all believe the same and we believe in Jesus. Yes, let's be honest. Soteriology, or the doctrine of salvation, is critical. Hmm. It is critical, and I think that we we have a whole bunch of people in the quote faith movement that think that they're Christians and they don't have a sound doctrine. Romans chapter ten verses eight and nine. If you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means kurios that He's God. All right, and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. So there's a right understanding of a belief system. You will be saved, because it's with the heart one. Um, believes unto salvation, mm-hmm. uh, resulting in salvation, and with the mouth one confesses, and that results into that salvation aspect. We believe that's important. We should def- def- define that to really know who Christ is, to be called a Christian, you have to have that belief system. Right. Isn't that interesting that that verse is smack dab in the middle of a treatise that the Apostle Paul writes about Israel. Chapters 9, chapters 10, and chapters 11 of Romans, where he is laying out Israel's uh, falling away, Israel's, the the nation itself, the, the leaders, the people, all of that has sort of fallen away. And yet he's talking about there's a hope. And then in chapter 11, he says, and God's not done with them. Well, if that's true, then we who are in Christ and have the right doctrine of salvation need to understand what is this plan that God has. And so I, uh, I remember I went to seminary, and I will tell you, I was reading a lot of theologians before I went, um, and people that I really liked, people I really respected, quote, reformers, mm-hmm. right? And these reformers um, really had a, a really sort of a simple eschatology. They believed that, uh, yeah, there's probably not going to be a millennial kingdom. Uh, Yes, Jesus is going to come back the second. He's going to come back with a a second coming. And then basically you're going to separate the, you know, the books are going to be open and those that are in the Lamb's Book of Life will be going to heaven and everybody else will go to hell. And that's kind of a simple eschatology. Um, And it really had no place for Israel. Now, I will tell you in 1982, um, with the encouragement of my parents, I went with Dr. O.S. Hawkins and Dr. Jack Graham to, uh, um, to Israel. 
And it was there that all of a sudden I really began to say, what is it that I believe? And then I went to seminary and I'd been challenged by these theologians. I had to really, really begin to understand. And I said, I want to zero in on this. So uh, Dr. Paul Enns of uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, brilliant. Uh, he had been at Dallas Theological. He wrote the Moody Handbook of Theology. Okay. A brilliant, brilliant theologian. And I was challenging him in class about some of these things. Well, that's like taking a, 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 a butter knife to a, to a, with a guy, I guess, with a bazooka. I learned better, better to, to do that. Uh, he basically said, Kurt, I want you to come up here after class. I'm going to talk to you. And he's talked to me and he says, I want you to go now as part of the assignment of the class, and I want you to go and look in the New Testament and see what it says about Israel and Israel become, and the church becoming the new Israel. And there's 68 times that Israel is mentioned in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Not one time does it discuss the church. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So, so what you're saying is, is the church is not the new Israel. Yeah. And I that, mean, it, and you came up with that conclusion uh, by how? By having to go in, thinking, thinking, I have to now do this assignment, but begin going in and looking at the verses, a biblical truth, understanding in its context what Scripture says about the nation of Israel. Wow. And there has been a movement. And it, by the way, it started with many of the reformers. And I, again, I'm reformed in, like I said, in, in, in the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. I clearly believe that it is, it is God's grace through faith that glorifies God in this process through Christ alone and through his word. Let me ask you this. Is, is a definition of reform theology or reformed, is it the same, is it the same across the board? Because I hear this. This is popping up everywhere. And um, it's the new reform. I mean, the wow. reformed of the reformed of the reformed. And um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of this, and a lot of it is a lot of these these um, these churches. I'll just say it that way: are absolutely do not have that same doctrine, that same belief system that you just described to me, where you found in the scripture that it was not, it was the church was not Israel. And unfortunately, the, the, the reform. So let's look at the. I, I mentioned what this, what it is to be a Christian, and who I am in Christ, and what Christ has done in my life. And I can say I'm a part of the elect, and all that's all I know is that I accepted Christ alone for my own salvation. So therefore, you are the elect because I, you accept Christ. I, I, exactly. I, I heard the truth, and it came you. alive to me. That's biblical. Okay. So there's a biblical truth. Unfortunately, when it gets into eschatology, and this is what I mean, some of the reformers, Calvin, for example, uh, never really did anything. He wrote on all the other scriptures in the New Testament, but he didn't write anything on, uh, uh, on Revelation. Uh, Luther um, had made some pretty challenging comments about uh, the role of Israel. But then there were people like Ulrich Zwingli, uh, the reformers, that did believe in, in, uh, in, in what Israel's role I can kind of understand that in some respects, though, because it was difficult to say that Israel and all of this that's going to take place, there's even a role for them because there wasn't an Israel during their time. I was getting ready to say that would be a difficult, it'd be a difficult sermon to talk about something that's not there. So it looks like God's wiped them out mm -hmm. and they had no place left. Right, right. I don't think we can make that argument today. 
I don't think so. I think the fact think is so. that uh, on uh, the uh, the 15th of uh, May, 1948, uh, when Israel came into existence in one fell swoop, all of the promises that we've seen, many of, of the, the major prophets and the minor prophets that spoke to Israel's place in the world came into being. Kurt, I'm going to go to a couple of verses in, in the Old Testament, in Genesis. And uh, this is where God is talking to, uh, talking to Abraham. It says this, and this is Genesis 17, 7. It says this, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. Everlasting. Conditional on. No, it doesn't say that. That's right. <laughs> an everlasting covenant. Um, and then it goes on in 17, uh, Genesis 17, 19. I will establish my covenant. This is the um, Isaiah covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him, an everlasting covenant. It's not conditional. And, and what I found, if you go throughout Scripture, especially throughout Old Testament, God gives if-then statements. I, I use that like when I was computer programming back, you know, there were if-then statements. If right. this happened, then this would happen. Right. And if this happened, then this would happen. And God gives if-then statements throughout Scripture. This isn't one of them. Well, before you get to even Genesis uh, 17, you can go back to, let me, let me, you can go back to Genesis 12, okay. right? So Genesis 12, one through three. And, and by the way, go even before then, go to Genesis 1, one through Genesis 11, the fall of the creation, the fall, the flood, and then basically mankind changing languages and being pushed or being God changing language and being pushed out all over the world. And in starting in Genesis 12, we see a new, I will use the term okonomia. That's the Greek word. That means it's a new uh, way of dealing with the, the humanity. Now, the way he's going to deal with it is through a people, a specialized people. And he calls out this guy named Abram that's living in this city called Ur in Chaldees. All right, then he's a Chaldean. And he says, I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to, I, I promise you a land. Then I'm going to make you a nation, which is the word for a, a specialized people. All right. He's going to be a people. Uh, in, in Matthew 24, where Jesus is talking about nation will turn against nation, mm -hmm. kingdom against kingdom. The word nation there is actual Greek word is, is the word ethnos. We get ethnic group. Abraham, you're going to have your own nation. Um, and I, you, this nation will be a blessing to all families. So it's going to be a land, a people, or posterity, and a blessing. Why is it a blessing? Christ came through that very lintage, that very line. And that is, I, I think that all good theologians that study that, those verses begin to say there's something special about that. Then you go to chapter, you go to chapter 15, and all of a sudden, this unconditional covenant that you're talking about, he literally lays out how the, con the covenant was, was formed. He went and got, he was told to go get a group of animals, okay, mm -hmm. a ram, a lamb, uh, an ox. They were to split it in half and open it up. All right, now, think about that. It's a pretty gory mess. Mm -hmm. 
And the what they would do is, this is called a blood covenant. They would lock arms and walk through that covenant. They, the two folks that were, meaning that if I violate this covenant, I violate my life. I can, I forfeit my life. Right. During that time, that's what happened. Except Abraham was put into a deep sleep. He was knocked out. And the scripture says like a, a, a stove and a fire walk through. It was the Shekinah glory of God. Walk through that blood covenant himself. He made a unilateral, unconditional covenant. It wasn't Abraham saying, okay, we're going to work out a deal here. It wasn't a deal. It was God that unilaterally said. And why did he say that? Well, you go back to verses 15, or go to, to 15, 6 uh, of Genesis, where it says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted righteous. Mm-hmm. I, I led with the opening here about believing in Jesus Christ, believing the right facts, having the right belief system. Abraham had the right belief system and was accounted righteous. God made an unconditional covenant with him. And that unconditional covenant cannot be broken. God's character is, is at, at uh, questioned otherwise. And it's not, that's not, not to be questioned. And so I, it, the exciting part for me is that blessing that it talks about. So here, let's ask the question, why should Christians, why should people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, why should they support Israel? Well, because it's biblical. Is right biblical hermeneutics to understand it. Secondly, there's a blessing. Do you think? Do you think churches are just missing the theology on this? Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I was studying this um, not long ago, and I came up with uh, there's several theologies that, and one of them is replacement theology. It's very, very well known in, um, I'm going to say, reformed churches of of some level, and. Um, that, that is a big one, and that one's been going around for a long time, and it's basically saying that, uh, uh, that, that, that it's also supersessionalism. That's another term that, that I hear that a lot in this, in this theology. But it actually believes that the church in the New Testament replaced the Jewish people in God's promise as his chosen people. Um, and, and you just talked about that covenant, and you're just like, wait, wait, <laughs> that's an everlasting covenant. That's an, that's an unconditional covenant. That's not an if-then covenant. Um, and there's, there's a lot of belief system. A lot of churches have that belief right there that, that the church replaced that Abrahamic covenant. And how can, we, how can we change that? Because there is a lot of churches out there like that. We're not talking about, um, you know, the, the couple— Churches down the road, there, there, it's it's picked up steam. Well, and and, and it's I, a theology problem. I think. Well, first of all, I think there's a lot. Of, there are folks that it just they say that's just not that important. Well, it is important, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to why it's important in just a minute because I think we're living in that time in those days in the last days, and I believe that we're living and Israel plays a major role in this. God has a God has a had a plan. His plan was to go through a nation that he established. He gave them a land. That's why I think we support the nation of Israel. It's, it's the land itself. Um, and then he gave us, he, he, he made a promise to us that those that bless Israel. I will bless them that bless thee. 
There you go. And I will curse them. But that was Old Testament. We're in the New Testament now. Yeah, yeah. It's unconditional com- covenant. Oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I got that it. He, okay. he literally says, I'm going to bless those that bless Israel. And I, I believe there is a blessing. I believe that. Uh, and I will tell you this. You see the nations that have always come against Israel, and you see how often have been destroyed. In recent history, we can go back to Nazi Germany and, and see how they, I believe it was demonic. I believe that there was mm. a lot of desire to destroy the Jewish people. Now, let me back up for a second. Let's Is talk. that Satan's plan? Oh, that's part to knock it. out this, I, this covenant of, problem? Uh, every, go back to Hadrian, you know, in, 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 in the book of Esther. I yeah. mean, you, you, can, you can go back and, and look at throughout history, there has always been someone that is prepared to attack the Jewish people. Right. Uh, because it was God's plan through this. Christ came through that same line. Um, and uh, if you begin to really study then eschatological issues, the, these, the, the things to come, things that are coming, mm-hmm. um, you, you will see that uh, I think Satan always has someone in the wings that he's looking to destroy Israel. And there's an attack. Listen, we're seeing it here in America today in politics. We have, a, we have the squad. You know, we have individuals who are literally, they hate Israel. Let me back up from, from a Christian perspective. I don't think we should be Pollyannish about what's happening in Israel. Israel, I, I, we, I support Israel, and Israel is, is a, is, God has a plan for them. Um, if you go back into your Old Testament again and read the book of Daniel, Daniel 9 literally lays out the responsibility that Daniel had to, to, to write this out and explain this to people. But Daniel uh, saw that there was a plan that God had for the future. And in that plan, there was, there was an understanding that this, this Christ was going to come. Daniel, I, I know you have a project called the Nehemiah Project. Still working on that, I'm sure. All right. Well, in Nehemiah, Artaxerxes um, basically said, all right, go back and build the wall. Go back, get get your city back in place. Get the temple all in place and get the wall built. Um, there was basically in, in, uh, in chapter 9 of Daniel, it says that there's going to be these 70 of sevens. All right, 70 weeks, some term, right. the word 70 of sevens. Those sevens are seven years. First of all, they had they had to uh, do seven of those seven, so that's forty nine years. Well, that's about the exact time that Nehemiah had come back in there and they rebuilt the walls. Right. All right. Then the rest of that time was four hundred and thirty, whatever it was, thirty four mm-hmm. years. Let's see, I, I wrote it down the other day, some four hundred and thirty four years or something of that nature, where it came out to be that sixty nine weeks. That sixty ninth week, Christ came on Palm Sunday. This is very specific. There are, there are many, many theologians that have gone back in their history and been able to go in and use the right calendar's time, and they can actually come to that conclusion. Wow. And then Christ came, and they said he's cut off. What that means is he was crucified. They crucified Christ. Who crucified Christ? By the way, some of the reformers used to say the reason they don't like the Jews is they were the ones that crucified Christ. Oh, yeah. Oh, You've yeah. heard that. Oh, absolutely. Actually, the Romans, but the Jews certainly wanted him dead. They didn't crucify Christ. I did. That's right. It was my sins that he died for. 
He freely goes to the cross and offers me that free gift. So I, I, I really don't like that kind of mindset that's being set out there. There are other folks that believe, by the way, that period of time cut off there, there's one week left. And that week is a time frame that Daniel was shown that is coming. And in that period of time, there's a parenthesis. And that started at Pentecost with the church age beginning. And we are in that period of time. It's called the times of the Gentiles. And there will be a point in time when the times of the Gentiles will end. And the church, and I, I'll get, I know you'll, you'll probably get letters on this, but I don't care because here's the, uh, I actually believe this with all my. Okay. Beliefs. Let me give Kurt Kelly. Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Kelly. Let, let me just go ahead and give you the phone yeah. number. <laughs> just don't call it late at night. Um, but the reality is, is that the church is going to be taken out of here. The harpazo. That, uh, the church is actually going to be raptured? It's going to actually be raptured. That Harpazo wow. is the, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, that literally lays out what's going to happen. Mm. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, that talks about the dead in Christ and how the dead's going to go first. They say they go first because they have six feet further to go than, than <laughs> you and me. They're going to go first, and then, then we're going to join them and meet him in the air. These are exciting times. I, I'm actually excited. I'm looking for. We're supposed to be looking for Thessalonians, or I'm sorry, uh, Titus two thirteen. We're supposed to be looking for the blessed hope of His glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's coming for the church. But once that happens, then this last period of time called the tribulation, and this is the part that really concerns me. I have a whole lot of people that think. Well, the church has to go through the tribulation. Really? Uh, we are not, we are now therefore in no, no, no condemnation. This is a time of God's judgment on this earth. And if you go back to Daniel and see exactly what he said, what's going to happen, it's literally focusing on Daniel's people. Who was that? The Jews. Israel. Israel. And so, I, I, without going, uh, th this would probably take us about a 20 hour conversation sure. to do here. But I can tell you what's exciting for me <laughs> is to know that while a lot of people could say in the past, oh, all that took place in the past, what took place? The tribulation? Hardly. You obviously haven't read the book of Revelation. And if you do, and you can read the book of Revelation, then all you're going to do is try to allegorize it. You're That's going to right. try to make it just figurative. It means stuff. You don't really know what it means. Actually, it's fairly straightforward. Yeah. Uh, there's parts when you get into chapter 12 and some of those areas that you have to understand that it is meant to be figurative. Mm -hmm. And you can then understand what the figurative means. That's proper hermeneutics. I went back to my seminary professor. And what he did is he challenged me to go in and read the verses, understand the verses, the 68 times that it speaks to what what. Israel, what it's talking about Israel. It was always talking about a nation, a posterity, a people. And it was you can you can try to allegorize it all you want. You can try to, and by the way, every time I hear people that use allegorical method of interpretation for scripture, that means basically it can be their imagination. You can just it, they can make it up anything they want. That's why I, I believe in the literal interpretation, the normal, it's it's what it means what it meant. It's historical, historical context in its normal language. 
what it was intended to mean. And uh, we can trust the Bible that it, in its literal sense, is going to tell us the truth. I had a, <clears throat> I told a, it was, it's a, really a joke, but it was a story um, down that lines that you're talking about. And uh, there was a girl um, that had a falling out. She had a, um, a, a boy that she liked. And she had a falling out with him. And uh, she was really mad at him. And so she um, had a Bible study. It was a girl's Bible study. So she went to Bible study. And um, so she was kind of making an outline of the Bible study. She goes, um, in Genesis 1, God made man from uh, the, du- the, uh, the, the dust of the ground. So point number one, all men are dirt. <laughs> and, but it's a point that you can take, I mean, give me a verse and we'll, we'll work that over if you don't take it literal and you don't take it in context. And it's so important to take scripture in context and take it literal. I mean, you know, I I remember, you know, people were debating on if the rich man was real or if, you know, some of these people that Jesus talks about, oh, no, those were, you know, those were uh, parables or whatever. It's like, well, no, Jesus always would say, this is a parable. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't candy coat it. It's just heads up. This is a parable. In fact, he was pretty straightforward about the king is here. The kingdom is at hand. Um, you're close. You're near. Go out and tell them. Until chapter, uh, was it uh, chapter 14? Uh, 12. Chapter 12 of Matthew, where they basically said, you, you healed this guy, this demon of, of Beelzebub. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden he accuses God himself of being demonic. And you begin to see from then on that, and this is where Matthew really lays out. And who was, by the way, who was Matthew written to? He was literally written to the Jews. They think it's always written to the Christians. There weren't Christians there. Yeah. Not at that time. Christ hadn't gone to the cross yet. He was writing it to the Jews and he was, he was, he was telling them. In fact, I was reading this morning, uh, I think it was Matthew 15, where I'm reading where Jesus is going along and he's healing and, uh, and he's talking and a, a Gentile lady comes up and says, would you heal my child? And pretty much he's like, no, I've come to the, to, to the nations and I'm not, not for the dogs because they call Gentiles dogs. And, uh, and she said, yeah, but even dogs get stra- scraps from the table. And he had not seen, he, he lauded her for her faith right. and healed her, her child. You see, the, Matthew is speaking about the nation of Israel. Wait a second, that's in the New Testament, isn't it? And Matthew's in the New Testament? I think, yeah, yeah. unless somebody moved it. <laughs> and, and in that, uh, you and I have a very caustic wit, don't we? Um, but in that idea of, of God coming for the, for, and Christ coming for the nation of Israel, now, he's going to be back. He's coming back. His, his promises are true. Every believer should believe that. I believe he comes back in two parts. I believe he comes back for the church, and then he comes back at the end of the tribulation with the church. There and I go. think he comes back, and he steps up his millennial kingdom. Um, during this time, so there's a blessing. There's a, there's a biblical truth. There's a blessing. There's also Christ's teaching. His longest discourse in, in the, t- the teachings that we have is the Olivet Discourse. Well, what was that all about? Well, it's about what Israel's about ready to go through. Remember, they had just been at the temple. Right. He had just told the, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees, he just basically had, had taken them on and given them the woes, the eight woes. 
That's, you don't want to hear a woe from God. That's and, right. A, and then they're going through, and the the the, um, the disciples are with them, and they're looking around at the temple, and they're going, wow, look at this place. And he said, there's going to be times coming where not one stone will be left on another. Now, we know that happened in 70 AD. We know what happened when Titus came in with his 10th legion. Then they go down from there. That bothers them. All of a sudden, they're looking at this beautiful Herodian temple, and it was gorgeous. All right. They go down to Kidron Valley and go back up to the Mount of Olives. And they came to him privately, and they asked him, they said, when is this going to take place? When, when is this going to happen? What is it that you're coming and what's the end of the age? He didn't really say to them, well, it's going to be in 70 AD when Titus comes in here with his 10th legion and wipes everybody out. It's not going to, he didn't say that. He didn't really answer that one. But he began to talk about, and who was he talking about? He was talking about Israel. Well, let's back up for one second. 70 AD comes along. The prophecy that Jesus had just told them took place exactly the way, it, the way he said it to it. A million Jews or more were killed, destroyed. Many of them were enslaved. And then there were still groups still fighting them. Remember, they go down to Masada. There's a group down there that's fighting and so forth. Rome's had enough. Titus has had enough. Their, their, their soldiers have had enough. And they basically went in and deported everyone out of Israel, salted the land. Israel was a desolate place. Kind of sounds like stuff that Isaiah was telling was going to happen. Oh, amazing. And it's a desolate place. And it was desolate for 1,900 years, or thereabouts, a little bit more than that, that this people, this place that God promised, is all of a sudden gone. And it was left to other folks to come in. Uh, other groups of people have started coming back into it. Um, through the years there, um, the, the land just became even worse. It was, they almost deforested the whole place, became desperate in swamps. Uh, uh, who was it? Mark Twain that actually went and visited. And he says, this is the worst place on earth. It's just horrible. It was just, wow. you know, it's just swampy. And, and then there's nothing but deserts and there's no trees or anything. But God knew what he was doing. If you go back and read Ezekiel, see Ezekiel 36, the promise that he's going to establish them in a single day. And he did. And he's, that whole parable of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, of God taking this land and beginning to build out Israel. I believe that process is taking place right now. I think it started. Uh, but I can tell you, Israel... It don't if you go to Israel, you can't go there thinking, well, they're going to be so excited that you're a Christian, that you're there. They're glad you're there with your money and that you're yeah. spending money. Um, how, do, how do they perceive Christians? Inside of Jerusalem, fairly tolerant. Um, they appreciate it. They, they see some things. There's churches and so forth there, and certainly the tourist attractions and so forth. But I remember when I went with seminary, the second time I went to, to Israel, I went to study in a class and seminary. And I remember talking to the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And he says, we get frequently arrested, beaten. And uh, even while I was there just last summer, I was there last year, 
uh, there was some Ashkenazi Jews that were in the Knesset that were basically saying it's a, uh, it's a life sentence to be a proselytizing for Jesus Christ. Now, wait a second. Hold on. I'm a Christian, and now all of a sudden you got these people speaking against that? Now, obviously, the Knesset didn't take it, and, and right. maybe not, not, not Yahoo's not going to accept that. Yeah. But the reality is this is still part of the dry bones. The nation is coming together, but God is yet to breathe the breath of life into them. But that's coming. I think that Christians should be the greatest examples for them. Um, I have Jewish friends here in, in Florida, friends, that when I talk to them, I try to present the gospel with them or just talk with them. You can almost see something like scales over their eyes. Well, that's kind of biblical. You can see a hardness of heart. And, and Randy, I think that why the church should be so excited about Israel is because God has a plan for them. They are going to be a nation that God is going to use to establish the millennial kingdom. It's coming. Unfortunately, for them, for, the, for, this, for this group that's there today, let's say, the, let's say the rapture takes place and the church now is out of here. Even if you don't believe that you're going to be raptured, if you're part of the church, you're going anyhow. All right. If you want to hang out, you can, but you really can't. Christ is going to call you. Right. And if you are hanging out, there's another problem. There's a whole other problem. Yeah, okay. yeah, at that point in time, I got it. Uh, you, you do need to spend some time uh, uh, repenting and asking Christ into your life. By the way, during the, here's another thing. I, I mean, I'm getting off track here, but here's something that's really exciting. There's 144,000 Jews, 12 from each tribe, plus two witnesses, Jews. Right. All right. They are going to be endowed with unbelievable Billy Graham type of presentation of the gospel, you know, just, you know, John MacArthur type of sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. And there is going to be a huge revival. Now, the difference in during that, those are, those are called, uh, those are tribulation saints. They said there's numbers that you can't even number. It's just masses. The difference is they'll be martyred for their faith. Today, come to your church, come to this church, and sit down and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll pat you on the back, say, God bless you. You get to go into a pretty clean baptismal pool, be baptized. You, your life is exciting. You can start a Bible study. You might get a little persecution out here in the world and a little tribulation here. In that time, to accept Jesus Christ alone is a death sentence. But I would rather have that death sentence and have eternity with yeah. God and with Christ than what's coming for those that won't repent. And so, and the Jews are going to be used in a great way during that time. So now, two-thirds of them, what Scripture says, two-thirds of them are going to die. But one-third will be protected by God supernaturally. So this is, this is an exciting stuff. It, to, to flippantly, and I, I, I don't know how to even say this, but to flippantly just say, well, that doesn't really matter. It'll all pan out in the end. No, this, is, this is, should be one of the most exciting things. As we're looking for the blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to come and to take us out of this world until that we can be with him and have the marriage supper of the Lamb and all of those things that we're going to spend eternity with him and come back with him, um, we should be excited that God had 
had a, has a nation, had a promise, living that promise, developing, and now we've got to see it. Martin Luther didn't get to see this. John Calvin didn't get to see this. There were folks right up until the turn of the, the 19th century and 20th century, and they would all say, well, that's never going to happen. It's happened. Right, right. And if you spend your time in Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, you will begin to see that everything that's going to happen in the tribulation, the stage is being set today like we've never seen it. And it started with 1948 and Israel coming into existence. Something I've noticed, and and something that you've you've pointed out, a lot of it is a theological problem. It's people don't, you know, the the the, the people that are paying. The the point is, is they just don't know, um, and so they just like ah, oh, just it'll work out. <coughs> it'll just work out. But that is critically important, um, in my opinion. I I did a. Um, I did a big study on denominational overviews, and I'm not going to get into the denominations, but I want to give you a number just so you'll get an idea of, of how serious this has become. Out of, um, out of churches in America, and it's, it's a pretty much across the board, I'm not going to say they're, um, I'm going to say Christian churches that have some, some belief system, not in the gospel necessarily, but it's some belief system in, in Jesus Christ. Okay? Christian-ish. Ish, okay. Faith, that, faith, faith. Yeah, Something, okay. Whatever. I'm trying to be careful because I used to, like, I used to even break up evangelicals, but I don't even know what that means anymore. Uh, but, but out of that, out of those groups of people, okay, fifty percent of those of those groups um, have no, and, and I broke it down into two ways: no theological support. In other words, there's no theology that would support Israel. And then the second one is no, there's no political support. There's no political reason they would support it. 50% of all churches in America do not support Israel theologically or politically. Okay, these are the groups that will call out, you know, the BLM movements and, and, and things of that nature. Um, 50%. Now, it gets, now, this is where it gets worse. Um, a third... I'm sorry, 25% of those churches I named of, of totally across the board. So you just took out 50% of them. 25% of those churches believe they politically support Israel and they theologically support Israel. Okay. And these were studies that were done literally off their websites. So it's not like I'm duck hunting in the dark here. I mean, it's, it's coming right from their websites. So 25% of the churches in America have a theological support and a political support. Um, the other 25 do not have a theological support, but they do have some level of a, of a political support. So if you break all that down, this is what you've got. You have 75% of the churches in the United States of America um, do not have a theological support for Israel at all. And and only 25% have a political support and theological support. And I'm going to hone in on one of the denominations. I'm careful not to name denominations here, and I could, but I'm not going to, except, except one. And it's because, because we're related to one of them, or we're, we have some, some level of knowledge of one of them. You ready for this? <clears throat> Southern Baptist. 50% of Southern Baptist churches have no theological support for Israel. 
Now, 50% do, but 50% of Southern Baptists do not have a theological support of Israel. However, most of those 50% do have a political support for Israel. So they're like, yeah, we need to support Israel, but there's no theological purpose for it. That scares the mess out of me. Well, and the reason is it's sort of like uh, I support the Romania because, you know, they're they're, right. they're kind of capitalist. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean Israel, Israel's them. only, you know. They're um, the only capitalist nation in that area right. that's really, you know, a king or something. Yeah. Look, it, is that not <laughs> Randy? I think I think your numbers are I think your numbers are too low or too high. Let's just say I think it's higher than seventy five percent. Do you really? And here's why: because I think I think because of lack of knowledge, and frankly, I believe in these days pastors are frightened to teach on this. I I, I was telling you bef before we got on camera that I actually preached at a church and I did sort of two-part series. And I had a couple of folks come up afterwards and they did not like what I had to say at all. And all I was doing was taking the biblical approach. I was teaching out of Matthew 24 and 25. And I was using the Olivet Discourse and what Christ said was going to happen. But looking at the setting of the stage today, you know, it, it's... I can see, like I said, I can understand why Luther or Calvin or those that really just said there is no Israel. There is, it was a hard. desolate land yeah. when, when they were around. Yeah, and, well, even yeah. you know, Mark Twain's there, and there's a yeah. lot of people saying, "How could you even come up with this conclusion?" I mean, there's not even an Israel. Hmm. There is now, and it's a it's a it's a flower, it's a flourishing fields of and and I mean they they're they're tremendous with flowers and 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 they did a whole forestation of the process Pro prophecy putting, prophecy predicted this all of it I, I mean it's it's amazing even when I was when I was growing up I used to see this um and I used to see I mean I loved Israel I loved the study of it. I loved I mean everything every war they ever fought I mean I was right there I was right in the middle of you know yeah um uh, but it was amazing how Israel came to life. And I'm talking about fields, crops. You know, it, this is in a desert. So I, I went in 82. And to go back I last wasn't summer, born then, but that's good. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you, you, you're close. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Anyhow, I went there. And, uh, and then I went back again uh, in 98. And uh, in, in part of 99, when I was over there. And then I went back again just last summer. And I'm Sally and I are talking about trying to put together a, another trip. To, I, I, I want to go back. Now I didn't do the Holy Land study. Last last time I went with the APAC, mm -hmm. and and it was looking more at the military and so forth. Right. We're looking at Hamas as they're looking at us with right. field glasses or Hezbollah as they're looking at us or looking at the Syrian areas. And we wanted to understand all of that. Listen, I, I believe Psalms 83. I believe there's about ready to be an attack on Israel, and I think I think the um, the uh, IDF. Do, do is, you think the rapture has to happen before that? No, not uh, now. I do believe. I do believe the rapture. Well, and this is my personal belief, and I and 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 it's a belief, but it's I'm not dogmatic because gotcha. Scripture's not dogmatic you, about it. It's going to happen. I gotcha. It's just not. I don't know when the timing on this. I do believe the Gog Magog attack. I think the church is out of here, and I think there's a reason why. I I, I could we we we'd spend a lot of time explaining mm -hmm. this, but I believe there's an attack that's coming first, and I think it's Psalms 83. I mean, yeah, Psalms 83, and that Psalms 83 is a ring of fire of people all around them, and. What's going to happen is Israel's the IDF's going to win. They're going to blow right, them out, right. and they're going to expand their borders, and that's probably sets the stage for Russia, which is uh, Magog, 
right. which is going to set the stage for that to take place within a period of time. That could be a year. It could be six years. It could be one year. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know where it is. But I'm, I'm actually looking at these things. I will tell you this, and I would say this to anyone that's watching in this podcast. You don't do an exegesis on newspapers and say, I'll, I'll, see, I'll put it into the Bible and see what the Bible says. Read the Bible. You start with the Bible. You start with the Bible. Start, start with and do a good hermeneutical understanding. Let it say what it says. Let it mean what it meant. Let it put it in the proper context. Let it have normal language. Um, get you some good commentaries of Bible believers, uh, good mm. biblical teachers. And unfortunately, as they're speaking to it, they're catching the ire of people in the church. They're saying, well, why are you focusing on that? Well, you should focus on it. Right. I think it does three things. Number one, it causes us to recognize that God is true. His, his prophecies are true. They will come true, every one of them. And that's the God we put our faith and trust in. Secondly, I believe it does it because it causes us to look upward. We are supposed to be looking for that blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And thirdly, I believe it causes us, because uh, it, it said to the times of the Gentiles we're in. So I was praying this morning, Lord, can I have an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus Christ with somebody, and that'll be the last person to get saved before he takes the church out? I, I, it should cause us to be great evangelists. That's right. And sharing the hope of Jesus Christ to family members, to friends, and I'll even add a fourth. The fourth one is it causes me to be much more reflective of my sin and that I don't get the luxury of just saying, oh, it's okay. I can, I, I, I can do this. I can be any way I want. I should live a life that's holy in excitement, waiting for Christ to come. And when that happens, then I believe the church becomes unified and in love. And that's why I don't like the fact that I hear people, I have a, uh, I won't mention a name, but I have a friend that is, he called, he says, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a partial preterist. Do you know what that means? Yeah, I know what it means. It means you haven't really studied scripture. It just means <laughs> partial preterist means that you think most of this stuff happened in the past and there's a few things and they allegorize almost all of Daniel. They say Daniel wasn't written when Daniel was written. Yeah. Well, that's kind of funny. Jesus kind of said he referred back to when Daniel, the prophet. Um, and then they basically allegorize almost all of, of Revelation, except right there at the end. And then they go back to allegorizing it again. I, I just... I don't know why we have to play those those, yeah. those theological gymnastics when the scripture has been given to us to understand. And uh, I would really, if there's pastors that are listening to this right now, the thing I would encourage you is lovingly and gently begin to preach Christ's return. That is the hope for the church. And as we do that, we begin to see I can tell you right now, Jesus said the, the, the very first thing in the Olivet Discourse, the very first thing he warned about was the deception that was going to be in that day. And I believe we're seeing a harbor right of deception right now. Yeah, And it's into the church. And so I think I would really encourage pastors to begin to preach on this for the purpose of, of bringing people to salvation and to holiness. Just to kind of back up one of the things that you said, I did a, um, a podcast, it's been about a month ago, 
and it was <clears throat> specifically on the Im- imminent attack um, that Israel was going to have to have on Iran. And um, it, it's it's there. I, I I don't think I don't think Israel has an option in that. Um, oh, no. Iran is is you know they're building nuclear weapons. They're there. Um, it's just a matter of of time. And I say time, meaning it's not even we. According to Israel, they believe that the the weapons have been built. Um, the mechanisms to launch them have been built. It's just a matter of time that Israel has got to stop that. They have to stop that. There's no option. So I believe I believe Psalm is is getting ready to come to life. Right Psalms now. 83 will happen. I, I believe that happens first. I think we're here. I think the church is still here. I could be wrong. Uh, if I'm not wrong, everything you just said should open up everybody's eyes. Listen, right. I'm not a sensationalist. There's all these people that, oh, this is so sensationalist. There are more earthquakes that happened last year than has ever happened in history. And they're becoming in greater frequency. Well, does the scripture say it's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, we're seeing plagues and we're seeing, you know, we're going to have another COVID. I think they call it the election COVID. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the new variant. Now, um, now was that predestined? I, 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 and did Calvin have anything to do I, with it? I don't think Calvin had anything to do with it. I think Biden might, oh, or, okay. or at least the people that are controlling him. I guess. Uh, um, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting. And you and I can have fun with this. But I, I look at all of these things and I say, yes, it's going to happen. There is going to be an attack on Israel. I think Israel is going to push him back. Uh, and, and, and then I believe that sort of sets the stage for a couple of things. Why does the church have to be removed out of this? All right, let's, let's talk about this for a second. You say, why should the church support Israel? Well, because it's biblical, because it's a blessing, because Christ taught it, because the apostles taught it, right? Because the early church believed it. Remember, somebody was sending some letter using Paul's name to the Thessalonians, and he reminded them. He says, oh, man, come on, guys. Don't, don't, don't get out of bounds here. I, I talked to you about this when I was here. I told you about it. And they were looking. They thought they'd missed the rapture. Right. right. And he had to, they, had to go, they said, no, you didn't miss the rapture. The dead in Christ are going to go first, and then we who will remain. And then we're going to be caught up with him in the air. Caught up is the word raptura uh, in the Latin or harpazo in the Greek. Right. And that's where we get our word rapture. And the, the he was saying, no, it, it's going to happen. Now, I think Paul thought he was going to be raptured. OK, I think when he finally got over to Nero's prisons, I think he probably he figured it he, out. He, I maybe believe. maybe he's not. Yeah. But uh, but the reality is, I don't know, 2000 years. Of the church age. Of God giving such an opportunity for us to come to know him and be be part of his body. What an excitement time of what is exciting. To, and then to know that he is going to take the dead in Christ. My dad died back in 2020. Dad's going to get to go first. Now it's going to be bang, bang, because he's going and then I'm going because the twinkling of an eye is fairly fast, right? at least 186,000 miles per second. And we're going to meet up with Christ in the air. Why are we not teaching this? Why are we not sharing this exciting hope? That's right. It's not escapism. Somebody said, you know, you're just talking about escapism. Oh, yeah. I do. If you've read the if you've read Revelation to see what's going to happen, starting with chapter six, and you see just this, just the breaking of the seal judgments. Forget the trumpet and the bowls. Those are just unbelievable. 
Um, I was watching this morning. I was sitting in I was at a in a hotel in Clearwater, and I was looking. I got out this morning, did before the sun came up, and I wanted to watch the water and the light come on the water. Mm. And all I could think of is, there's a point in time where this is going to turn to blood. It's going to be one right. stinky, smelly mess. That's right. It's gross. I won't be here. Why? Because I'm going to be having supper with with the groom, and I'm the bride of Christ. And I think that the churches ought to be sharing that hope. It's a blessed hope. Israel, we need to pray for their peace. We need to pray and share the hope with them. There are those. I have friends of mine that are com- what they call completed Jews. Mm-hmm. They know Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And boy, they're usually they're really on fire for Christ. They are. I think we ought to be sharing that hope. But I can tell you this. I was talking to another guy, and this guy, he's he's a great debater. He's smart. He's articulate. He's just too hardened heart. The scales on his eyes. I just, I can see it. And I was telling another friend that we were chatting about this guy, and I said, you know what? If Christ takes us back and takes us out of here, he's going to be left. Then the tribulation, I pray that he he would be one of those 144,000 because he would be an unbelievable witness. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12, um, I think it's verse 10, says that there's going to be such a brokenness to the nation of Israel. They're going to recognize of the one they pierced. What a day that will be when they basically say, you know what, we messed up. And many of their friends have already lost their lives. And all of a sudden, they recognize Christ. He's coming back for them. And then what joy that will be. There'll be brokenness at first, and then there'll be great joy. And that's what begins to populate once we get past the whole the end of the Armageddon and all of that, when all that ends up, then they're going to be there in that millennial kingdom. Right, Guys, I, I, I would tell people as, as they're listening to this, um, spend the time to understand God's promise. About 25% of all Scripture is foretelling things that are going to come, things that are coming, uh, and has been from, you know, what, and the rest of it is all prophecy, it's all scripture. But I believe this, when you understand the scripture, all scripture is God-breathed, that is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And I believe that when we do the full counsel of the word of God, then you cannot walk away. Pastors, Teach this to your to your to your congregations now. You'll find them now. Have a lot of them come say, "Well, what about this?" That's fine. Let them talk about that, but answer them kindly and gently with the Word of God, like my seminary professor did. He was kind, gentle, and I didn't want to fail the course. And <laughs> and but it was it, it was a transformation for me. All of a sudden, I let the Word of God instruct me instead of me instructing it what I thought I was going to believe. And I, I just really think this is a this is a very important issue for us uh, at, in these times is that we um, we we share the hope of Christ. We know he's coming back and we will spend eternity with him. Um, I'm also doing one other thing that sounds crazy. I'm starting to uh, put stuff together so that <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I told a friend of mine, I said, if the rapture takes place, well, he's not a Christian. 
would you do me a favor? Would you come in and check on Teddy? <laughs> Which is my dog. Please check on Teddy. Okay. Because uh, he ain't going to be raptured with us. Um, wait, 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 wait. Teddy's not going to heaven? No, so I love Teddy, but uh, I don't think he's going to heaven. We, okay. we do keep enough food out there for him. <laughs> my wife says, you really are taking this seriously. I said, I am, honey. I really am. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know when it's good. It could be 100 years from now. But uh, you know what? There's not like, hey, wait, just a second. Let me get Teddy fed yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you don't get, it, it's just, it's in a twinkling of an eye when you don't at least I'm gonna it. I'm going to do something that, um. I haven't done on a podcast before. All right. And uh, this is what I'm going to do. First of all, our whole discussion was why Christians should be supporting Israel. But beyond that, I'm going to do something that's different than I've ever done on a podcast. You have, you have shown something that it's just not why Christians should support Israel, but you have given some serious, serious prophecy and you've given out, you've laid out the gospel like I've, I've, I haven't heard it laid out exactly like you just did it. And I'm just going to ask our, our listeners and, and people that are viewing, if you don't have that personal relationship that he just talked about, if you have not, he's like, wow, that I never heard anything like that before. And, and maybe you haven't. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to put a phone number on this podcast. At the end of the podcast, you can, you can scroll down, you can just put the phone number and call up, call up and say, look, I, I, I need to know about how, about that salvation that Kirk Kelly was talking about. I need to know um, beyond a shadow of a doubt that how I can be part of that rapture that, that, that uh, Kirk Kelly just talked about. And I'm going to do that. Um, and you can call that number. It's, it'll probably be during business hours that you can call it, but you call that number and say, look, I, I want that personal relationship that, that Kurt Kelly just talked about. And uh, we'll make sure that we get you to somebody that can, can show you from, from the Bible of, of how you can have that personal relationship. Like you just talked about the day of the Lord is coming. The day of grace is upon us. It's here. And to all who hear today, if you hear my voice, scripture says, harden not your heart. You may not have tomorrow. But today, if you, will, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there are people that can walk you through steps like this, that understand right. that salvation. I can tell you that's the most exciting thing that can ever happen. We could have turned this into a big political statements and conversations. I'm less inclined to do a lot of that. I, I think it's I, I play in that world as well, but I'm less inclined to do that because I know that that it's important for us to take strong stands. It's important for us to support Israel. It's important for a, why? Because it's obedience to Christ. And I will tell you as we do that, every believer should be doing that. And if you haven't ever, as Randy just said, accepted Christ alone for your salvation, today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart, Jesus said. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless you. Love you, man. Thank you. Worldview Truth.